Welcome to The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. On The Purposeful Project podcast, we share real-life stories from some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. We like to think our podcast will provide mentorship to those that need it and give you access to the knowledge you need to start and scale a business. To hear these incredible stories, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts or you can simply visit purposefulproject.com. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Very pleased to be here. Well, I'd, I'd love it if um, you could tell the audience a little bit more about your your career, I guess, um, and what you've been up to. Well, my career has been, it's quite a scary thought that I started my business, Charles Tirrett, back in, you pronounced it pretty well, uh, back in 1986, so 35 years ago now. Um, and I suppose before that, I'd always, all I ever wanted to be was an entrepreneur. I just always wanted my own business. I wanted to be in control of my own destiny, I suppose. And um, so I had very few jobs. I had a few sort of holiday jobs and jobs at school trying to make some money. And then I spent two years with Bain and Company, which, and then went into the business full time. And I've been here ever since, which is um, sort of amazing, actually, because it feels like I'm a big proponent of people starting their own businesses. Because it feels like I've never say every day has been great, because there's been some pretty bad days too. But I have been in control of my own destiny, and that's what I've absolutely loved. Do you think working at Bain uh, put you off working for a big company, or just encouraged you? I always knew that I never wanted to work for a big company. And obviously Bain's clients were big companies. Um, I think the thing I loved about Bain were the people who worked there because it was full of, you know, there were, apart from me, there were, there were some quite bright people there and it was fun sparking off them and fun seeing what could be done. I think with a small team of pretty young people who were prepared to think outside the box. So it wasn't that it put me off working in a big business. I always wanted my little business to become a big business one day, but uh, it certainly didn't put me off being an entrepreneur. And it was a it was a pretty good it was a pretty good two years, uh, and I learned quite a lot. And I think it helped me in the early days of the business. It, uh, it sounds like a real life MBA in a way that, that experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you left, was it um, was it an easy decision? What what happened? A lot of my audience, perhaps right now, thinking of starting their own business. You know, what was the spark? I guess. Um, well, when I was about five, I, I said to my father that I wanted to have my own business. And this is, I, I, I could be making this up after the event, but I remember you know, very early on and, and we worked out, I worked out that I could, um, I could take some seeds and I could grow flowers and I could sell the flowers. And he was sort of quite encouraging. Um, and I was, you know, the local primary, I just started the local primary school, and it was like magic because I took these seeds and I and I put them in into some soil and I popped these chrysanthemums. And then he he was, I have to take my hat off to him. And I think everyone needs somebody to indulge. The entrepreneurs need people to indulge them, to, to not tell them to stop being an idiot and go and do some work at school or to go and play at school or whatever. And and I and I grew these flowers. And and then I remember before before I went to school, I, I lived in Shropshire, um, in the middle of the countryside. And uh, he would drive me to Wolverhampton Market, Wolverhampton Flower Market. So before he went to work, before I went to school, and literally at about five o'clock in the morning, I think I, it was sort of open at well, maybe six o'clock in the morning early. And we'd go and I'd sell these flowers. And I remember that feeling, that feeling of complete magic of taking a flower that effectively had cost me nothing and actually getting some money for it. 
So it sort of taught me that, you know, it, it taught me the magic of, of having your own business, of taking something, doing something to it and selling it for a bit more. And, and from that I did, you know, when I was at school, I had a photography business. When I left school, I had a shoe business. Um, I had a Christmas tree business at university. And, and they were all a bit of a disaster, but, but each one taught me a lot about, or a little bit more about having your own business and what you do and what works and what doesn't work and how you get people to, you know, with the Christmas trees, I was trying to persuade my friends at university to go out and sell Christmas trees. And I think I was slightly embarrassing to think now, but I was selling them, a, I was paying them a pound a tree. I don't quite know why they did it for me. <sighs> you know, not very much, but it's about, you know, you, you, you sort of ask them with a smile on your face and it may, you make it fun for them and they, and they, and they do it. And it's just lots of little lessons along the way you learn about how, you know, how a business works and, and how it doesn't work. Mm. Um, so it was a sort of, you know, it was a, it was a fairly long lead-in, um, a long lead-in. And, and I, the business before shirts was, a, I had a shoe business and, and I'd been traveling on my year off uh, between school and university. And I had these shoes made in, in northern India up in Simla. And I remember thinking, you know, I got back and I was at university and a year or six months later, I suddenly thought, Wow, these are actually the best shoes I've ever had. Ever, you know, I've ever had in my life, and they were handmade, made to measure traditional English. Well, not English because they were Indian, but traditional shoes. You know, brogues or semi-brogues. And I thought I'm going to create the greatest shoe business in the world here. Um, and I think they cost a tenner. And um, what I did is I, I found 50 people who were prepared to buy a handmade, bespoke pair of shoes from me at, at 50 pounds a pair. So I was going to make 40 pounds a pair, 50 customers. I was going to make two thousand pounds, which you know, back in nineteen eighty-five, a lot of money, uh, a lot of money now. But uh, and I remember tracing around people's feet and um, taking their measurements, and then I faxed them to this factory in India. And you're probably too young to remember fax machines, but no, no, I remember fax machines. Yeah. I, uh, you know, they're, they're still in remember existence the, in remember Japan. Remember the thermal paper, the long roll of thermal paper. Totally, I, I replaced many of those in my time. Yeah, no, well, it was. I, 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 so what I did is I, I faxed these, made these sheets of paper over to this factory in India. And what I didn't realize when it was coming out the other end was that they were coming out, you know, instead of coming out a normal size nine, they were coming out, you know, tiny or big. And the Indians sort of, you know, they didn't sort of question anything. So when I got these 50 pairs of shoes, it was literally 50 pairs of shoes for either for pixies or for clowns. <laughs> Not, not a single pair fitted the person they were meant to fit. So Good niche, instead of making two grand, you know, I lost 500 and it was an absolute disaster. And it's one of those, it's, that's one of those moments where you can either think, oh God, you know, maybe having my own business is not for me. Or you think, okay, fine, shoes isn't going to work. What can I do instead? And I, it took me about a day to think shoes is not going to work. What can I do instead? And I thought of shirts, you know, no research, no, you know, all the things that people tell you to do, do lots of market research and find out about the market. I didn't do any of that. I just saw I'm going to start a shirt business and off I went. I bet you've heard this joke a few times, but you, you didn't lose your shirt on it, did you? Uh, um, I did lose my shirt. I, well, I, lost, I lost my shirt on the shoes. Um, probably lost my shirt on the shirts a few times, actually. I've had a few ups and downs. And did the, did it, did it, I mean, so you, you, how, my question becomes when I hear your amazing story, um, I just, I just enjoy these stories of how people um, grow into entrepreneurship. And, and, and I think my audience do too, because a lot of people start in different ways, but just hearing that journey, you know, the mistakes you make at the beginning, the failures are part of the process. But, but how did you end up at Bain then? How did that even happen? Um, how, how did that, how did that come about? Well, it was an interesting one at Bain. I mean, it was a, um, so when I was at university, I, I had this Christmas tree business and, you know, I was, 
I never really liked, I, 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 I loved school, but I didn't like the work. I didn't like the academic work. So I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, the idea of doing history and chemistry and, and biology is not really something that, that, that turns you on. And uh, so I was always having my little things on the side and I had this Christmas tree business. And um, as I said, you know, I got my friends to go out and sell them. And I found this guy in, in Shropshire who, who lived near us, who, who had a hillside full of Christmas trees. He didn't really know what to do with them. And I said, look, I'll buy them and I'll sell them. And uh, so I had people in, in, I was at university in Bristol, people in Bristol selling them, people in London selling them, I was selling them, going around door to door selling trees. And I think I've always thought, you know, throughout every, every little business I've had, I've always had some sort of core beliefs about what it is that makes a business work. And, and it's become a bit of a cliche now, because I'm sure Tesco nicked it off me, but you know, it's all about quality, service and value. Um, you know, offer great quality, great service, great value. And it doesn't matter what you do. If you do those three things, then you will have a great business. Um, and so I tried, so I thought, so I said to the guy with the, with the Christmas trees in Shropshire, I said, look, I want these, Christ- are these the best Christmas trees I'm going to get? I want them to be fresh. I don't want them to drop their needles. I want them to, to work. And he said, yeah, absolutely no problem. So I thought, okay, I've got, you know, I, I, you know, these are absolutely fresh. They're not, you know, you hear stories of Christmas trees being taken down in September and stored cold. And when you put them up, all the needles drop off. So I thought I haven't got that. So I've got a great quality tree. I'm going to give great service. I'm not only going to deliver the tree, I'm going to pick it up as well afterwards, because that's a pain for people. And I'm going to do great value for money. You know, I was buying the trees for nothing. I was doing all the heavy lifting myself. And it was sort of, you know, I, and I sold them at a very good price. So I thought this is going to be a great business. And uh, it sort of was pretty good. I mean, it was a slight problem in that the guy who sold me the trees was a bit of a con artist. And um, they, they actually dropped their needles within about three days. They were sort of the wrong type of tree. And, I, and also I developed a terrible allergy to Christmas trees. So when I, by the, after I delivered a few, I started coming out in sort of yellow and red blotches all over my face. So when I delivered them, people sort of thought, crikey, this guy, he's got some terrible disease and we don't want him anywhere near <laughs> us. And uh, we certainly don't want him picking them up. But, you know, I, I, I sort of soldiered on. I, d- I dropped them all off and I was... And I actually went back to pick them up, even though they dropped all their needles. So having promised people that they were perfect trees that wouldn't drop their needles, you know, they, they did. And people would sort of, I, sometimes I was chased out of, we'd sold some into offices. And literally, you get these night watchmen chasing me out, sort of this sort of weird guy covered in yellow and red blotches sort of coming to pick up the Christmas tree. And they thought I was an absolute sort of idiot. Um, but ultimately, you know, I made quite a lot of money. And I remember saying to my father, I said, look, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to go. I don't want to go and get a proper job. I want to do. I'm, I, I found something. You know, the Christmas trees has worked. I'm going to do. I'm going to do it full time. And I, he always thought I was a bit of an idiot, and he sort of thought I was joking. And then eventually, he said, he said, Nick, you do realise Christmas trees are a seasonal business. And in a way, you know, lucky he said that. Otherwise, I'd probably still be selling Christmas trees. But um, <laughs> I sort of thought, okay, maybe I can't do Christmas trees. And he said, look, go and get a proper job. You know, I always, I just wanted to go. I wanted to do whether it was. You know, I, I was, I'd started the shirt business at university and I was, I was thinking maybe I'll go into it full time. And he just said, and a lot of people said, look, go and get it. As people say to everybody now, go and get a proper job, go and get some experience, go and find out about the real world. And then if you really want to start your own business, then do it. And so, you know, I did. And, and in many ways, you know, when I was at school and I had my photography business, I, I didn't want to go to university and they persuaded me and again, my, probably my father. And he said, look, Nick, you know, just go and get get a degree. You know, you can you can, and I think actually quite good advice. He said, get a degree because, you know, if you go to a, a, a university like Bristol, you know, you don't actually do much work, and and it's an umbrella where you know you go to a couple of lectures. I did geography, which was actually about as little work as you can possibly get away with at university, 
and apologies to anybody who, who's listening to this who did geography and thinks I'm wrong. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, know you, you can go to university and you have an umbrella, which is quite a safe umbrella to start a business. You, know, you don't have people sort of giving you grief if you're, you know, if you leave school and don't go to university and you're starting a business, people are, you know, you're out on your own. You know, you've got to, you've got to sort of fend for yourself. If you're at university, you're, you know, I, you know, I got a grant from the government. You get, you know, your, every tuition fees are paid. I mean, you don't get that now, but uh, you did back then. And it was a sort of a safety umbrella and I could do my businesses from university. But, um, you know, I, so, so I said I didn't want to go to university. They persuaded, my father persuaded me to go to university and he persuaded me to, to get a proper job when I left university. So I did my two years at Bain and, and then you get a suddenly, I sort of woke up one day and Bain was saying, right, you should go, now go to business school. You should get an MBA. And to go to business school, you take on a big loan. I mean, then, you know, you, you, um, you know, like now, you take on a big loan to go to university. Then you took on a big loan to go to business school. And I suddenly thought, I'm going to be on this hamster wheel of life where if I'm not careful, I'm going to be, I'm going to be stuck. You know, you, you, and a lot of people, and I see, you know, we all know people who get stuck into this, you know, their salary keeps going up, their, their, their expenditure, you know, the more they earn, the more they spend, and suddenly they can't afford to take that plunge. And I thought, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So uh, Great self-awareness, because a, a lot of people, especially with pressure around you, they get into monthly costs, and next thing you know, you're in yeah, your no, 40s right. trying to right. stay alive, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're stuck. You've got a mortgage. You've got kids. You've got, you know, you're stuck. And and so I, you know, aged uh, twenty, what was I, twenty four, I guess. I, I I jumped ship and went full time. Yeah, it's it's just looking at the numbers on 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 uh, on LinkedIn. It, it just says that you seem to start the business when you're actually at Bain. Is that right? I actually started the business when I was at university. Right. Okay. So so you you um you kind of. Side hustle, I think is how they call it now. Um, it was a side hustle for you, and then, but you, you, you believed it was the right thing to go full time on it. What, what was the, what did you do first when you went full time? What were the first few steps? The first thing I did when I went full time, there was no logic to going full time. There was, no, it wasn't like the business had taken off or was showing signs of taking off. And again, I mean, it's another thing I say to budding entrepreneurs. It's a sort of, you know, those early years. It, it's all about, it's about really learning about your business. You know, don't expect it. You know, businesses very rarely take off, you know, like a sort of, you know, go from the beginning. And in my first year, my first year was my second year at university, and I did £12,000 sales. In my last year at university, I did £12,000 sales. And then I went to Bain, and in my first year at Bain, I was doing it again as a side hustle, and I did £12,000 of sales. And in my second year at Bain, which is my last year at Bain, I did twelve thousand pounds of sales so it was a sort of so then i announced that i was going to leave to do this business full time and everyone just said you are mad you know the business is not it's not growing it's not going to work it's a sort of hobby what the hell are you doing and this is that thing where you know you ask an entrepreneur why they take the plug or what makes them do it or you know well when's the right time and, and there is never a right time but but you just know you know in your heart that this business is going to work and i thought if i don't do it now i'll never do it and so, you know, I did it. And I remember I um, set up in a little office where Chelsea Football Club is now. Um, tiny little office, costing me about 50 quid a week, which I didn't really have. And I remember um, saying, you know, s- sitting there on my first day. And, uh, you know, I was surrounded by a few boxes with a few shirts in. And I was waiting for the phone to ring. I'd sent out a few leaflets. And the phone just didn't really ring. And at, at about... 11.30, it finally rang, and, and I picked it up, and I said, hello? And it was my sister, and she said, look, Nick, for God's sake, you can't just say hello. Uh, you've got to say, Charles Tirrett shirts, how can I help you? 
And I said, I, I can't say that. I mean, it just sounds, Charles Tirrett sounds such a stupid name. I can't say it. And she said, look, if you call your business Charles Tirrett, you've got to say Charles Tirrett shares, how can I help you? And then she said, I'll tell you what, why don't you, because I've just, I've, I've just actually come off the phone to Tyrac. And if you remember Tyrac, good old business. I, I do, again, I feel like we might be showing our age a bit here. I remember Tyrac very well. Good return <laughs> policy. And Tyrac, she said, Tyrac, when you pick up the phone to Tyrac, they say, Tyrac adds colour to your life. How can I help you? And I thought, she said, why don't you have a little ditty? So I thought, oh, crikey. So I put the phone down and I waited. The phone didn't ring. I went out for lunch. And I think I actually had a bottle of wine at lunch, which sort of cheered me up no end. Came back in half drunk. And uh, the phone rang at about 3.30. And I thought, sod it, I'm going to go for it. So I said, Charles Turret adds colour to your life. How can I help you? And it was my father. And I think he then thought, oh, my God, I've been telling him not to do this business for four years. And here he is. I mean, a complete idiot. So, you know, it's a sort of, you can see it wasn't sort of well thought through. There was no good reason to do it. It's just that I believed in my heart that the business was going to work. Amazing story. And your, um, your father clearly very influential in your life, um, both pushing you but supporting you, which is an interesting combination there. But your mother, what, what, what role did she play? Was she an entrepreneur? Well, she wasn't, she wasn't an entrepreneur. I mean, the interesting thing is, and I think this happens with quite a few entrepreneurs, actually, is that my mother died when I was five. So I was sort of brought up really by my father. And uh, I think one of the things entrepreneurs need is they need a sort of a, a self-belief and a, um, a sort of resilience. You know, it's all, the, all those cliched words that people talk about with entrepreneurs. But I think, you know, when my mother died, I had an elder brother who was five years older than me and a younger brother who was actually five years younger than me. And uh, so in a way, I was sort of on my own. You know, I, and I used to sort of fend for myself. And I think that's a... That was probably quite useful. It made me, it did make me quite resilient. You know, if I wanted something, I had to get out there and go and get it. You know, I, I wasn't mollycoddled and I wasn't, you know, I, 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 you know, it was, and I, you know, I got, I, I, I was actually sent away to school at, at eight to go to a boarding school because my father was working and, you know, it just didn't work me being around at home. And I think you become quite sort of tough and resilient. So, you know, I think my father was probably a closet entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, I, it was difficult. You know, he's he's still alive. He's, he's pretty well, actually, and he's 89. And he ended up buying, doing a management buyout of a business he had later on. Um, and I think he would have liked to have been an entrepreneur. But, in you know, back in the 1940s, 50s, it was really quite hard to start a business. And so he didn't really have his own business until much later in life. But uh my mother wasn't an entrepreneur, but she was apparently, I didn't really remember her very well, but she was, you know, quite sort of forceful and quite independent. It's a, it's such a, an interesting point you're making here. I, I lost my father when I was 15 years old. He died suddenly of a heart attack. And um, I, I, I sometimes try to frame it that, yeah, to your point, that it, of course, awful thing to have happened. I, I wouldn't want it to have happened, but, but there is some um, good in the bad, you know, and, and I, I also, um, you know, went out into the world and, kind of had to you know get on with it and i and i think there's something in it um i'd never want my i've got a three-year-old so i I just can't imagine him not having his mother at five but 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 equally i I can see what you mean and i think it's quite important for the audience to pick up on that you know i think almost optimism in the hardest of moments looking back in hindsight it's you know you wouldn't want it to happen but it it gave you something special It, it gave you a strength that perhaps you wouldn't have otherwise had yeah i think that i i think it's it's um it is an important point and i think it's something Certainly, when I look back over over my career as an entrepreneur, I, I think one of the really important lessons is you can be desperate about the past, and I, especially with my mother dying. I mean, that's obviously a huge deal. But 
and, and obviously, you know, aged five, I'm not, I'm not really thinking about this, but, but ultimately you can't, it's not going to make, nothing I do is going to bring her back. Uh, and it's the same with, with things that go on in business. When things go badly, nothing you do is going to change the past. Um, and, and there's no real point worrying about the future, especially about the future, about things you can't change. What the important thing is, is the present, and it's about living in the present. And, and I think it's, you know, remembering when times, when you think times are tough, you've got to remember, actually, you know, whatever state you're in, there are people a lot worse off than you are. And, and it's a sort of, you know, it's about being upbeat, and it's about being positive, and it's about, you know, believing in yourself. And, and 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 ultimately believing in the believing in the future, but it but it's um, important to stay. You know, it's about having that positive frame of mind because you know if you have a positive frame of mind, even when everything around you is going badly, that that rubs off on people, especially if you have employees or if you're going to see a customer or if you're you know it, it could be desperate, but if you're positive, then then uh, you know only good things can happen. It's a, another good point, and I think a lot of people, a lot of my audience listening, might be you know, struggling with being positive. It's uh, it's digging deep, isn't it? I guess, and, and finding the positive in the difficult moment. But but are your um, your siblings, um, your older brother, and, is it older brother, and younger brother? Did you say I know five years apart? Was it? Were they are they the same mindset as you? Did they take a different view on things? How do you? Um, I think they probably do have a similar mindset to me. Um, I have an elder sister as well. Um, and in a way, I think we're all quite entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, my sister has her own business and has been actually very successful. Um, my younger brother's had lots of different businesses. Um, he's sort of very creative. Um, I think, you know, in, in many ways, we're quite similar. I think I think where he, the difference between him and I is that, you know, he tends to get bored more quickly. And so he's less... He's less of a perseverer. You know, I sort of, when I get the bit between my teeth, I just, I just never give up. And I think it's not that he gives up, but he just doesn't, you know, you know, if, he had, if, you know, if he'd had a shirt business and it was doing £12,000 a year every year for four years, he'd have thought, this is not going to work, which is probably a rational thing to think. Yep. And he'd have moved on to do something else. Whereas I just thought, no, it's going to work. I'm bloody well going to make it work. And, and I just carry on. And I think, um, you know, so we are all quite similar, but we've all had, you know, fairly different career paths, I suppose. It's interesting you're all entrepreneurs, considering, you know, you, there's not a direct entrepreneur influence. I mean, your father, as you say, was a closet entrepreneur, but that's not the same as seeing someone build a business and know what it's like on the inside, right? So it's uh, it's interesting that you all became entrepreneurs. And and I guess, um, you know, you're, you're, you, you, I don't know when you got married or when you met Chrissy. But you're married to an entrepreneur too, so I mean, how how does that dynamic work? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one actually. I mean, Chrissy uh, is. It's funny what the definition of an entrepreneur is. When do you become an entrepreneur? Do you become an entrepreneur when you start your business? So, um, you know, when I met Chrissy, she was working at um, Clarins, um, and she was doing health and beauty, and she was doing a PR for Clarins in London. And I remember we went on not long after I met her. Um, I took, we went on holiday together and we went to, um, we went to, um, gosh, what was that island called? Some little island in the Med. Um, Mallorca. Don't make us all jealous right now. We all want to go there. Yeah. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter its name. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all such a long, yeah. Yeah. Who goes on holiday now? Um, no, we went to Mallorca and we went for a week and I, and I spent the whole week saying, look, I'm really sorry, but I really want to get back. Uh, 
to my business. You know, I love my business, you know. And I think that's quite an important, I mean, it's a bit sad to admit it, but, you know, if you if you really love your business, there's a good chance you're going to be more successful. And I, I was on holiday, but I wanted to be back in my business. I would rather have been in my business than on holiday. And that was a bit sad. She said, crikey, you know, I mean, I, I, like the rest of the population, like being on holiday. I don't want to go back to work on next Monday. I said, okay, well, you know, we'll we, we have to beg to differ. And I sort of spent the whole week wishing to be back. And she spent the whole week not wishing to be back. And then when we got back, she, um, after a couple of days, she came to me. She said, actually, I want to start my own business. You know, I want to have that sort of, you know, I want to have that feeling. I want to, I want to be doing something that I really love so much that I'd rather be doing it than being on holiday. And, uh, and she said, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, look, do mail order. You know, if I can do mail order, any old idiot can do mail order. You know, um, I didn't quite say even you because that would have probably upset her. But, uh, <laughs> and so she said, oh, yeah, okay. And then she said, what can, what can I sell? And we went to stay with my sister who just bought a house in the country. And um, she was saying, I can't find good quality white cotton sheets anywhere. And so I said to Chris, I said, there you go. Why don't you do good quality white cotton sheets? Thinking... All I really cared about was that her, but you know, the important thing was her business would never be as good as my business. So I thought it was a pretty stupid idea. <laughs> but she just, you know, she she had no business experience. I think it's just a great story, you know, no business experience. Um, she was just fired by the idea of having her having her own business and and you know and doing something that she liked. I don't know whether she decided that she loved cotton sheets, but she she started the the, the cotton sheet business and. You know, the best, actually the best business decision of my life was giving her £5,000 for 25% of the business. Um, and, 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 you know, and off she went. And actually, I mean, the worst business decision of my life was about five years later. We went on holiday again, and we'd been going out for more than five years. And I just turned 30. And it was Valentine's Day. And so she thought, well, we've been going out for six years. He's just turned 30. It's Valentine's Day. We went, it was two weeks in, in Koh Samui in Thailand. He's going to propose. And I think I thought, well, I'm only 30 and we've only been going out six years. And I'd completely forgotten about Valentine's Day. So the thought hadn't even crossed my mind. So she spent the whole two weeks thinking he's going to propose. This is it. This is it. This is it. And I, you know, hadn't even crossed my mind. So when we came back, she marched into my office and she was renting a little room at the back of our office at the time with 5,000 pounds in cash, put it on my desk saying, you know, I, I, I never want to see you again and I'm taking my shares back. So not asking her to marry me was a big mistake. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, I, I went off and moped for about four weeks and then and then went round to her flat and basically proposed. So uh, Awesome. Well, I had a know, similar experience, by the way. My, my wife also gave me kind of an ultimatum. I don't know if it doesn't occur yeah. to guys more, but, um, you know, my, my wife was like, you know, do you love me or not? Let's get married, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. fantastic investment story as well there because, you know, there's, there's, these days it feels like, um, you know, legal contracts and all that stuff. You couldn't give the money back and take the shares back if you wanted, you know? And yeah. So it's, it's amazing you could even have that option. And um, just for the listener's record, um, we're talking about the White Company here, which is I, I, one of the most successful, uh, I think, uh, retailers and, and online stores in the UK. Um, I, I moved back to London three years ago. I was living in Hong Kong and I had to buy everything uh, for my home. And I just went to the white company and bought it all. Um, yeah. I, I, it was it was the most enjoyable experience. And my house now just looks like one of your photos. Uh, yeah, from the white well, company. I'm very, very pleased to hear that. Yeah. And it is, I, 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 it, it's a, it is a fantastic story. And I, I think the lovely story is that, 
you know, she's never had, she's never raised any money. She's got no outside shareholders. She's never had any, never had any debt, basically. Which flies in the I, face of everything you read about today about startup world, which is, I think it's such an important point you're making here that people realize this, that, you know, owning 100% of the business is a good idea. Um, yeah. You know, you always, partners always going to end up with 50% anyway, so just accept that. But 25%, 50%, 5,000, whatever. But, you know, the ownership and the building you're pointing out here is so vital. But how did she do that? And what, what was the, I mean, you've done the same with your business, right? Yeah, we both, we've both done the same thing. And I think that's something I've, you know, I've always felt very strongly about that. And I remember somebody saying to me, you know, the problem is, is, is that, you know, as an entrepreneur or, or somebody, you know, you come into it, you, you, you tend not, you don't have, you know, some entrepreneurs go through and they become accountants and, and investment bankers and they understand the ways in the world, the ways of corporate finance and all this sort of stuff, but most don't. So they have their sort of advisors or they have, or they get people who are very willing to give advice to entrepreneurs. And the people who give advice to entrepreneurs tend to be the sort of people who, they're going to make a shed load of money when you sell the business, or they're going to make a shed load of money when you raise a load of debt or bring outside shareholders in or, you know, do some sort of, some kind of activity. And I remember somebody saying to me very early on, they said, look, Nick, either you can have a very large, you can have a large slice of a small pie, or you can have a small slice of a large pie. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to work out what you want. And I said, well, forget that. I tell you what I want. I want a large slice of a large pie. And, um, you know, if that means that I've got to do this for 50 years, then I do it for 50 years. But I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I can't see the I can't see the point in bringing outside shareholders in because the reason I started this business and the reason Chrissy started her business is, and I think the reason a lot of entrepreneurs start their business is they want to have control of their own destiny. They want to, you know, if you, if, you know, if I want to go away for six months, I can go away for six months. If I want to get out of bed at half past 11 and every day of the week, I, I can do that, you know. I can do what I like. If you're working for somebody else, they just give you a load of grief. Mm. Obviously, if, if I do that too much or if I do it at all, possibly the business won't succeed. But that's, you know, that's my call. You know, if I do something well, I, I, I get the benefit. And if I do something bad, I get the hit on the head rather than often in a business. If you do something well, your boss takes the credit. If you do something badly, you get booted out. I'm being a bit cynical here. No, I think it's very true. I mean, that I think this is something that's just not talked about enough in this day and age where headlines of, raised 100 million or raised 50 million is somehow the success story. But, you know, what you're talking about here is the core of what I think it is to be a real entrepreneur, which is freedom, right? So, yeah. so and, and when you take on money from other people, and I've invested in businesses and I've raised money in businesses and I've started businesses with no money. So I've been all, all the gambit. And, and what you're doing when you actually take money, in a way, is you're taking on a boss. You know, you've got someone to report yeah. to, right? And um, I was just talking in the previous podcast to Nick Jenkins, who oh, yeah. uh, I, I interviewed him and, and he is, he just, well, I asked him for an example of people that he admired and he mentioned you and your wife, you know, and, and he talked about this whole, you know, building the business and, and, and not taking on necessarily investors and just doing it organically over time with passion. It's, it's, it's a lost art. It feels like now. Yeah. yeah well, I think it's a sort of, it, it's a, uh, I think one of the problems is that a lot of people, especially who, people who aren't entrepreneurs think the reason you become an entrepreneur is to make some money. And so it becomes, you know, and every single, you know, whenever anybody in corporate finance or in banking talked, whenever I talk to them, less so now because they finally got the message. But, you know, the one question that people ask entrepreneurs is, you know, what's the end game? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the, what is, what, what's the end game? What, what's the exit? You know, they want to know what the exit is. You know, there must be a plan. You, you, you must want to do it to, you know, you've got to take some, take some skin off the, 
skin off the out of, off the game or something skin off the, the table. table. I know, I mean, something like that. Yeah, basically, yeah, the people, that's true. I mean, every single investment deck I see, there's an exit slide. Get rid of it. You know, yeah. that's basically it, what it, I think you're saying. Sort of, you know, I say to them, I, I say to them, you know, I say to them, you know, what what is the if you can give me one good reason to sell, then then I'll consider it. And the only good reason to sell they give you is 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 to make some money or to get some money off the table. But you realize as an entrepreneur that it's not about it's not about the money. And I think it's easier to say that when you've been doing it like I mean, I've been doing it for 35 years now, and it's sort of easier to say it for me and Chrissy's been doing it, you know, 30 years. It's easier to say when you've been doing it for quite a long time. Because in a way, what what I think the important thing is 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 to take some money out of the business. You know, you, you can't do that at the beginning, but as the business grows and it becomes profitable, don't reinvest everything. Take some money out. So you, so you, so you, you know, it doesn't. You don't need that much to have an absolutely fine life. You know, to have a fine life, you just need. You know, you can only. It's the old cliche. You can only eat one meal at a time. You can only sit in one sofa. You can only watch one telly. You know, you, you know, fun. A, a happy life is about having. You know, it's about having friends and family who you really love, and they love you, and you get on with them. And 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 that's pretty simple. And it's not about, you know, all those expensive things. You don't need the money. And so. What you then end up doing is, and I think what's really sad with businesses the, who, who listen to corporate finance people is they you know, they build a business from zero to 10 million and they sell it for 10 million and what we do, they feel really successful and really happy and, and really rich. You know, I think what then happens is they realize that actually it hasn't made them happy. And what, what happens is that you know, building a business, I can tell you, building a business from zero to 10 million is the really hard bit. Taking it from 10 million to 100 million is much, much easier. So what happens is they they sell out for 10 million and the private equity or whoever comes along and buys it, they then take it to 100 million and they sell out for 100 million. So, you know, from a money point of view, you're 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 crazy. You know, it's a sort of complete disaster. And 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 also you're you're ruining your business in a way. And I think, you know, Bain, funny enough, have done quite a lot of research on this. Founders who are still involved in their businesses, you know, the businesses tend to be a very different kind of business to the business where the founder is gone. And what you can do is you can build a really great business. And, and you know, what I want to do with Charles Turret and what Chrissy wants to do with the White Company is build, you know, a really great business. And a great business is a business, you know, I, I mean, people sort of say to me, what is a great business? And to me, it's simple. It's a business where, you know, where the people who work in the business love the business, where, where the people, uh, where the customers love the business and where the people who supply to the business love the business. And what I love more than anything else, it's not whether we increase sales or profits by 10% or 20% this year or it's when people come up to me and they say, I just have to say that I absolutely love buying your shirts. Or people come up to me, if I get the way, they say, I love working in this business. You know, this is my fourth business I've worked in, and I love working in this business. You know, that's what really makes it, that's what makes it a great business for me. And I think it, it's a sort of what you can do if, you're, if you have the very long-term vision, which I think Chrissy and I both have, is that then you, you know, Warren Buffett said lots of sensible things, but one of the one of the things I think he said, or maybe he didn't say it, but somebody else said it, is that your compound growth is the eighth wonder of the world. And it's incredible what you build in a lifetime if you plug away with the same old business. Mm. And if you're the sort of guy who and I, I I think of it, I think of it being like the hare and the tortoise. You know, I am the tortoise. I just plod away and suddenly you get to the finished post and and suddenly you've sort of won inverted commas. Whereas the hair is somebody, you know, they start a business, they raise a lot of money, they sell the business, they start another business, that goes bust, they start another business, that does really well, they sell that, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. But compound growth, you know, if you can grow, you know, 
even if you're growing up 5% a year, 5% a year over 50 years, you end up with a massive business. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a fantastic entrepreneur. You end up with a, a great business that you're really proud of. You know, and I think that's, that's what it's all about. It's about creating something I'm really proud of. And I know that I could never have done that if I'd had outside shareholders in. The first thing they would have done, as soon as I lost control, they'd have sacked me because I'm a bit useless. And, um, you know, I like being in control, being in control of my own destiny, building something I'm really proud of. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because I, I feel like entrepreneurship needs a little bit of a readjustment. You know, the, the, the headlines are about people buying and selling business. And in fact, even people's bios, even my own bio is about how I built a company and sold it to PwC. But what's actually interesting is that I built a company, yeah. you know, and, and, and that journey of building yeah. that company. But, but somehow, and I've got caught up in it too, you know, there, there's this belief that somehow building it up and selling it is the actual story that's interesting. And it's not. And so what I love about having someone like yourself come on and, and tell it as it is, is that I'm hoping that listeners will pick up on this and realize that, you know, whatever they put themselves into, they put it into because they love it. And, and there's so many, I'm, I'm quite popular on TikTok. One of the things I've noticed on TikTok for the young people anyway, is a lot of people on there selling get rich quick schemes, you know, buy this course and learn dropshipping and make lots of money quick, you know, or buy Bitcoin, do this and make lots of money quick. And like you're saying, you know, I feel that there's no one out there really with a voice saying, Hold on a minute. You know, making money is important. We all understand you've got to eat. You know, I personally was homeless for five days. You know, like I know how important money is. But like you said, you can only watch one TV and you've only got one life and legacy. You know, legacy is important. And so it's not about just making money, but it's so hard, I think, to translate that to someone sitting there who doesn't have money now um, yeah. that, that sees all these kind of um, Instagram feeds of all this, you know, all this glamour and all this, all this wealth being splashed around, and and getting back to actually what makes people happy, right? So, yeah. it and it's interesting to hear, um, Chrissy. Then you know, kind of, I think she, um, your 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 love of entrepreneurship rubbed off on her. I mean, I've learned a lot from my partner. You know, you you kind of she probably took something from your passion of wanting to go back to work. And it's interesting again that flipping the psychology thing, isn't it? Like most people spend most of their week waiting for the weekend. Yeah. Where you know, whereas when you own your business, you love every single day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why wouldn't you want? Why wouldn't you want that? You yeah, know, yeah, and, exactly. and and but and, and, and holiday thing is same. You know, like people spend all year saving up to go on a two week holiday to escape their lives. You know, like yeah. we can't go on holiday anyway right now. You know, why not not escape your life? You know, like but I don't know why that message isn't in the headlines more. You know, why why is that story not the headline? You know, man enjoys building business, leaving legacy, doing something he's proud of. You know, why is that? You know, it's, it's, it's not enough clickbait in it, I guess, right? It's like, you yeah. know, where's the hundred million you made from it then? You know, yeah, like, yeah. And, and like you say, it's, it's just, it's just, I don't know how to get my audience to see this. And, and uh, you know, you telling your story does help so much. But I love the point about Compound too. And it was Warren Buffett that said it. I've heard him say it many times yeah. and um, people don't understand it. Do your own children, how, how do you um, balance out this, I guess, two entrepreneurs as parents? And I know um, one of your son I was reading, is, I think he's 21, did I get that right? He's, uh, he's, he's actually now 24. Oh, I'm reading, I'm reading some of the old uh, uh, mm. write-ups about you. Um, but, you know, he's 24, but he, had, he has his own business, right? He had his own business, and it's very entrepreneurial. Was, is, is, are all your children going in that direction? I think there's a sort of... Um, it's an interesting one because it's a sort of, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, what I loved about with my father is that he never tried to push me well, he, he never tried to push me into things that I didn't want to do. He never sort of, 
you know, there's a tendency for parents to, to want their children to be safe and secure. And, you know, so pushing into the professions or, you know, be a lawyer or a doctor or a solicitor or accountant, which it's all sort of admirable stuff in a way. But I think it's about, you know, I want my kids to do something that they really love doing. I think it's all about, it is about having a passion. Now, if you are passionate about accountancy, then great, you know, but it's it's a dangerous thing to sort of push people. And it's probably a dangerous thing for me to say not to encourage kids to do safe things because, you know, there's a lot to be said for, 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 for some side of, you know, some kind of security. But I want my kids to do something that they really, really want to do, that they really love doing. And Tom, since the age of about 11, has wanted to make films. And actually my youngest since, I mean, she's, she's uh, 16, and she's probably from about the age of nine, has wanted to, to be a pop star, you know, in a, which in a way is a lot of 16-year-old girls want to be pop stars. And a lot of a lot of you know boys want to be film directors. You know, it's it's like wanting to be a footballer, or you want to be. I mean, I sort of wanted to be. You know, if I could be my have my life again, I'd probably be Mick Jagger. I mean, how amazing would it be to play to you know half a million people in in Brazil? I mean, it would just be fantastic. But um, you know, so I do want them to follow their dreams, and and I think uh, you know Tom has been and he has been entrepreneurial. He did actually. I remember when he he came to me when he was about. 12 and he said he wanted an ipad and i said tom forget it you know if you want an ipad that's probably birthday and christmas uh and he just had you know we just had christmas his birthday is in october i said forget it you know if you if you want an ipad go and make some bloody money you know go and get you know so i used to sort of you know i used to deadhead daffodil heads for my father and he paid me about a penny a hundred i said you know go and make some money and he said okay all right i will so he came back sort of a couple of days later, said, I'm going to do an app. I thought, oh, God, right, okay, all right. Okay, so I said, fine, go and do an app. And he came back about a week later, he said, I've done an app. And I said, right, okay, what is it? And he said, it's this thing called Stick Life. And he said, I've applied to the Apple store to put it up. Um, but you have to be 18, so I've had to lie about my age. And uh, I said, oh, okay, I thought, okay, well, that's great. At least he's sort of showing a bit of, you know, rebelliousness, rebellion, whatever the word is. Yeah. And uh, the next morning he came down and he and this stick life had, had so he said right I've had four hundred downloads and I said that four hundred downloads and I think he makes seventy percent of ninety nine p or sixty nine p or whatever it was at the time so he'd, so he'd made like you know six hundred quid or something so he'd made enough to buy an iPad and I just I said crikey that's amazing so I downloaded Stick Life which cost me ninety nine p or sixty nine p and it was just absolute rubbish. Um, but he ended up, he made about 50 grand and it was a sort of, uh, you know, I don't quite, it was one of those sort of crazy thing. It was a terrible app, you know, and I looked at some of the comments and one of the comments said, you know, this looks like it's been done by a 13 year old. And I didn't want to write back and say, well, it has, <laughs> the graphics are terrible. It was, but he, you know, he, and, and he's always been sort of, um, he's been quite get up and go and he's. He's doing his own short films. He's been making ads for companies to try and make money. He's trying to raise 50 grand now. Having He spent the 50 grand on all sorts of idiotic things. But he's making 50 grand now, making making videos for companies. Um, and he wants to make his own short film, which he wants to make into a feature film. And, you know, he's quite go-get. And, and it's great. And it's lovely to see. It's lovely to see a sort of him being passionate about something or anybody being passionate about something and making it 
making it happen. So crucial that moment though, isn't it? That kind of those junctions where he comes to you for the iPad. I mean, as a parent, myself of a three and a half year old, it is so easy just to say, sure. You know, it's actually easier, isn't it? I mean, the parental pushback, there's a moment of like, oh, you know, don't you love me? (laughs) You know, you've got the money. Why can't you just do it? You know, like that, that whole tussle. I guess and it's sure. so it is so important. It is yeah. so important with kids. Yeah, and I'm sure I get I get lots of things wrong. But when and 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 I, and I do sometimes cave in when I shouldn't, but but a lot of the time I don't cave in. And you know, my wife thinks I'm incredibly stingy. A lot of people think I'm just stingy. And with the kids, you know, I'm just there's just no way. You know, there's a real danger with them. They could just become, you know you know, just entitled, you know, and, and, and lose all that passion and drive, which yeah. is that is what's going to make them happy in life, you know, having that passion and drive. And it is, there's a few moments in life where you flick switches, where you know, it's my father not telling me to, I'm an idiot to, to try and grow chrysanthemums and sell them in Wolverhampton Market. You know, just little things, little moments in life where, you know, life can go left or right. And, and it's those, those moments where making the right decision or but by, by luck or not um, will determine where you, you know, determine where you end up. Was there a, the kind of hardest moment in your business? I mean, you know, the, we all know the journey of an entrepreneur is high and low, even if you're 100% in control. Was there a, was there a moment that you can recall as like the hardest thing you had to go through? I think that the hardest thing for me was actually when I went, I mean, I did, I, yeah, I went bust, um, which was in 1994. So I started this in 1986 and I went full time at the end of 89. So I've been doing it basically for four years full time. And um, it was an interesting one because, you know, I, I, I'd, uh, you know, I've been doing it eight years and I finally got the bid and the business was doing two and a half million pound sales, making 250,000 pound profit. So finally I was, you know, 250,000 pounds a year. That was a lot, you know, for, for, um, a lot you know, today, isn't it? It's a huge profit margin. I think most businesses would be amazed to have that profit margin today. What? Well, it was, it was 10%. Mm. So it was sort of, you know, but 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 making two hundred fifty thousand pound profit. You know, all those people who sort of said to me, "You're an idiot," you know, for twelve thousand pounds a year sales for four years, mm-hmm. finally were sort of going, "Oh God, you know, okay, maybe you were right," sort of thing. And it was, and and I think what what happened is that I became you sort of slightly, and this I think happens to entrepreneurs, and it's a very very dangerous moment where you sort of start slightly start to believe the hype. You think actually, I'm actually I've gone from being an entrepreneur to being a successful business person. You know, I'm. I, this is easy. I, I can do this. You know, this is, this is, you forget about the really tough times and the angst and that you think this is easy. And I remember I, it was the time when Lord Hanson and Lord White were going around the world buying up businesses. And I thought, right, if they can do it, I can do it. So I thought, I'm going to go and buy another business. And I bought a, a, a chain of five children's clothes shops. Um, and I don't know what I was thinking because I was making shirts for men and selling them by mail order. Why I thought I could buy children's clothes shops, retail, selling clothes to children, I, I don't know. But I lost more money in three months than I made in the last three years. And, and basically the business went bust. And it was that loss of focus. You know, you know, my male customers did not want to buy children's clothes. You know, it was that loss of focus. And I remember, you know, the receiver came in and, I said to everyone, it was the good old days when pubs were open all day, actually. And I, it's about nine o'clock in the morning. And I said to everyone, right, let's go around the corner to the, went around the corner to the pub. And I remember I stood on the sofa. I don't know why, because I'm not that small. And there were only six of us. So, uh, but I stood on the sofa to sort of like address the troops thinking, 
I'm going to give a rallying call and say we're going to get the business back and all that sort of stuff. And I suddenly burst into floods of tears. And it was just that I suddenly thought, you feel like your life has ended. I mean, it's slightly ridiculous, but, you know, I've been doing it for eight years and I, this was my entrepreneur. I just thought it had just completely failed. And, and it was, um, that was a really tough, that was a tough moment. Uh, I, feel, and, I feel the emotion even now, you know, I've, and I've been there myself, so I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, and it was a real lesson. You know, it's that lesson of focus. And I think that's something I've tried to carry forward. And to, as an entrepreneur, you know, if you, and it applies to every day of the week and every month of the year, you know, if you're going to do, you know, do one thing really well, you know, don't try and do five things at the same time. And it's easier said than done. It is, especially focus for a lot of people. Cause I, I speak to maybe you know, 10 entrepreneurs a day within our project where we're trying to help. And often they've got two or three ideas and their idea is I'll do two or three of them. If one of them works, then I'm, I'm a winner. If I just do one and it doesn't work, then what? I've you know cut off these other options, and so that's one element. And then the other element, what you're talking about, is a really interesting nuance to this, which is I know why you got involved in those five stores. Two things it brought to you: one, retail outlets; two, it brought you clothing still, and you thought you could take them online because you were doing mail order, right? So, that, so it seems like there's synergy. It seems like there's synergy, but in reality, they're different business models completely. And that's what a lot of people also make the mistake of. I interviewed the founder of Pippa Nut, which is doing incredibly well, brand in the UK doing real. And she said she got into doing, um, she was doing nuts in packets and it was brilliant, brilliant business. And then she went and got almond milk. It sounded like the same thing because it was almonds, still nuts. But putting milk on the shelf in the supermarket is very different to getting nuts on the shelf in the supermarket. And yeah. packaging milk is very different to packaging nuts, right? And I think that's that's what you're talking about. That, that nuance is so important to understand. And if you don't, you'll likely go bankrupt, especially if you've had success early on. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, one of the, one of my business heroes, and actually, rather sadly, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a guy who does basically cement. Um, and he does cement in Ohio. And he does $4 billion a year turnover. And he only sells cement in Ohio. He doesn't sell it in any other state. And everyone says to him, why don't you go to other states? And he says, if there's another, you know, ounce of cement to be sold in Ohio, I want to sell it here rather than going somewhere else. Mm. And he only sells cement, and it's a $4 billion business, and he makes a shed load of money, and it's a very, very successful business. And he's resisted all those sort of, you know, people are always coming to me saying, okay, why don't you do China? Yeah, obviously, yeah, China, the biggest market in the world, growing like mad, and the Chinese middle class, just huge disposable income. Yeah, why don't you do China? But, you know, ultimately, you know, the UK is a huge market. You know, America's a huge market. I mean, there are loads of huge markets. There's loads of things you can do, but you can only do one thing and just do it really well. And I think... You know, one of the interesting things looking at, at Charles Stewart and the White Company is we actually launched in America quite a long time ago, whereas the White Company stuck to the UK. And I think, you know, and, and they've now launched in America, and I think they were right. They were right to stick in the UK. You know, focus, 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 focus. Just do one thing, do it really well. And and you end up with a much, you know, a much better, stronger business. It's, it's really hard for people. Again, a lot of our listeners are people that are, you know, trying to grow businesses. And so, you know, uh, you're, I, I lived in, Hong Kong uh, for 20 years and, and, and China you know, was a big part of Hong Kong. And, you know, the experience there taught me what, you know, you just said that go sell it in, uh, go sell it in China. It's a completely different market to the UK as well. 
culturally, yeah. of course, but yeah. also how they buy things, how they do things. And it's not just simply copy and pasting into another market, right? Yeah. So, but again, people want to expand because they think expansion will lead to more money, but it won't necessarily lead to lifestyle inflation, inflation, right? The enjoyment factor is part of it. If you wanted to be on a plane going to China and what, fancied that experience, then maybe that's a reason to open up in China, right? Otherwise, yeah. maybe yeah, not. A good reason. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that's right. And then that, that's right, because it does, it sounds more glamorous, doesn't it? It's a sort of, um, if you say you're you're operating in ten countries, that sounds better than just saying, "Oh, I just operate in Ohio." Yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen very successful businesses in the UK say, oh, "I just operate in the UK," and they're like, "Oh, that's dangerous." You know, like yeah. again, this is the business strategy versus the reality. You know, the reality is it's actually, of course, more important to understand the market you're in and get it right, and then maybe yeah. scale. But if you don't understand the market you're in, and then you try to scale into a second market before you've conquered the one you're in, then you know it, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. I, yeah, I, I really I, understand your market, and that's why, that's why it was good, I think, for me to to be doing twelve thousand pounds a year for four years. And a, lot, a lot of entrepreneurs come up to me and they say, "I've got a real problem that you know I've been doing this business for three, four years, and I'm only doing you know forty thousand pounds a year. You know, it's just not really taking off." And I said, "Look, you know, if, if you start a business, you're not starting a business to, to to succeed straight away. It just doesn't happen. What you're doing and what you've done is you've built up experience that is invaluable." Mm. You know, you've learned a hell of a lot. What, what you need to do is you, you just need to find that switch that's going to, you know, you will find that switch that's going to make the business take off. Mm. But it's a sort of, you know, it, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen straight away. It, it, it's about it's about patience and perseverance and, and, and you know, and focus. I think you're, you're mentioning another very important point here that I want the listeners not to be, not to miss, which is sometimes as well you've got to list, not listen to what other people are saying. You know, like um, I, I have it too, even with the podcast. I mean, when we first launched and our YouTube videos, they're getting a few thousand views or a couple of hundred views, and people are like, oh, it's not very popular, is it? I'm like, but we know we helped nine people. You know, we know that content helped nine people. What's more important, a million views from somewhere in America that doesn't matter or some fake farm engine sending traffic to yeah. us or actually helping nine people? You know, yeah. like, I don't really care if you think or not it's making an impact, you know, like that, that's not our measure of an impact. So, you know, to your point, when people are saying, oh, 12,000, give it up. You kind of got to ignore that, right? That sort of feedback. You've got to learn. It doesn't matter. But a lot of people it's, find it very it's hard. Exactly. It's exactly the, I mean, I've got up on my, on my wall, I've got a, a quote from a guy called Ellery Gordon. And actually, I don't know who Ellery Gordon is even. And I've tried Googling and I'm not quite sure which one he is, but... <laughs> Henry Gordon had this quote, he has this quote, which he says, you build and lose a business exactly the same way, one customer at a time. <laughs> I think that's so true. It doesn't matter whether you're the guy in the corner shop or whether you're Shell. You know, when you, when you, um, you know, if you wind up, you wind up a customer, you lose them, that is you're, you're, you're on the way down, you know, and it's, and what happens in an organization is organizations just become, they become so big, the chief executive loses all touch, all sense of reality. And what's happening on the, you know, Thousands of touch points across a company like, I mean, if I take M&S, which has had a tough time recently, you know, customers are going into M&S and they're, they're, they're seeing the product and they're leaving. And, you know, and then one of them, one in a thousand will write to the chief exec and say, I don't like your product. And he'll sort of say, oh, God, you know, somebody's complained about and his top team. I'm not that he didn't see the letter, but the top team will say, oh, you know, there's only just one customer. You know, actually, it's thousands of bloody customers and they're, you know, leaving in droves and you just don't see it. And it's, and it's, you know, but the guy in the corner shop, you know, if he's really charming and lovely to the guy who comes in, they'll, they'll tell the person next door and, and the business will get bigger. And, you know, eventually he'll become, you know, some enormous organization. You know, it's a sort of, it's so true. You know, every single customer matters. And as soon as a company starts taking the view that, 
oh, well, you know, that guy's a complete nutter. I think it's a really dangerous, a dangerous point in the, in, 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 the, in the company's history. I think it ties back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, um, people take on money thinking it's going to solve their problems to build their business. But in fact, I've seen it. People, I mean, Hong Kong, for example, there were two web engines that launched, you know, one launched with no money and nine launched with huge VC backing. He's the only one left, the one yeah. with no money. Because he listened that- to his customers, he got carefully feedback, watched the data, carefully spent, managed his costs, yeah. took his time, you know. And, and, and I just think that is something, you know, I want, uh, this word to get out because I think people are getting confused when they see all these headlines, you know, about all this money raised and and true entrepreneurship. It, you know, of course, there are businesses that need money, but I, I'm saying that ultimately being careful with money is not stingy. Like you, you know, you mentioned that, that word earlier. It's, 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 it's just prudent. Yeah. And, and if you really love the business, the best thing you could do, a bit like if you love your children, is not give it a load of money. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> uh, right. And so well, yeah. I think that no, that's I mean that's a it's a. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that, and and I and I think one of the things that's wrong is is what happens with with when people start a business. The first thing they do is they um they come up with the idea, they then tend to sort of talk to somebody in the pub about it, and they end up giving them fifty percent of the business in the pub because they their person wants to come in as well, and then the next thing they do is they go they go and raise some money, mm. and the trouble with raising money is that you know it's easy come easy go you know, and learning the value of money is a very very important lesson for an entrepreneur. Mm. And if you go out and you raise 50 grand or 100 grand, it's just that is easy. If you start with nothing and you don't raise money and you have to go and make 50 grand, you really understand, you know, what 50 grand means. And and then, you know, and you don't you don't spend it unless you have to. Because, I mean, in a way, I mean, I had a sort of, I mean, I learned that lesson actually. And that was a, you know, another piece of luck, I suppose, for me is... You know, my my great aunt died and left me seven thousand pounds, which is which is one the first piece of luck for me, rather than her. I mean, she was eighty two, she was lovely, but she left me eight thousand pounds. And I, um, at the time, I needed some money for. I, I thought I needed some money for the shirt business, but I wasn't going to go and I wasn't going to raise money because I'd have to give equity away, and, I, and nobody would give me a loan. So I went to see my Barclays bank manager. This was when I was at, at, at I was at Bain, and I said, "Look, I need some money for my business, and I found a great way of of, of getting it." My great aunt left me eight thousand pounds, and I found this car, which was an old Aston Martin DB1, which is twenty five thousand quid. I need to borrow seventeen thousand to buy the car, and then I'm going to sell the car and make some money and put that into the business. Now, if you did that today and went to a bank manager, they would I mean, you'd be laughed. I mean, it would just be hilarious. You'd be laughed out of the place. To be fair, this bank manager back in the back in the eighties said, "Yeah, okay, well, we'll we'll do that." And she lent me seventeen thousand quid. I miss those days. I, bought, I miss I those days. Car, um, and a year later, I sold the car for a hundred grand. Amazing. And it gave me seventy five grand plus my eight thousand for my great aunt. So I had eighty three thousand pounds. And the interesting thing, and that was real easy come. I was just ridiculously lucky, and it was like raising money because it was like money out of nowhere. Luckily, I didn't have to give away the equity because I'd, be, I'd made it on the car. But the first thing I did is I jumped on a plane, went to Hong Kong and bought a container load of shirts for 75,000 quid. Amazing. And I got them back. And basically, they were all the wrong shirt. The customers didn't want those shirts. It was, And in my first year, after the 12,000, after I managed to get the business going, I did 72,000 pounds of sales and lost 75,000 pounds. You know, pretty good going, actually, Amazing. to lose more than your sales. Amazing. But it was a real lesson. And then that's what you do if you raise money. You know, you think, oh, 70, 75 grand, that's not much. That was easy. I've raised some money. And you go out and you spend it. And then Plus you spend all your time raising your money, right, instead of working the business. At least, you know, you're, you're working the business with this money as well. That's that's a big difference. A lot of people spend, a lot of CEOs I know are spending all their time just raising money. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a great story. I mean, I just, I, just I'm, I'm, I want to ask something that's sensitive and if we can cut this out if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but I was reading um, on Wikipedia, which I know is flawed, um, that you and your wife combined net worth is 427 million US dollars. I mean, I don't know if that's true or whether you want to answer this question, but, but I find a lot of people might be listening. You're so down to earth. You talk so practically and, and honestly. People might be thinking, well, you should have held on to that DB1 because I think, what are they worth now? A million? I don't know what they're worth, but a lot, a lot of money. A DB1, yeah, probably, I don't know, actually. Yeah, I don't pro- know. probably a million or two. I can, I can hear the comments already. People are like, well, if you'd held on to that DB1, you know, um, you, uh, you'd have, uh, you'd have a million now. That was a stupid mistake, and and they'd be missing the point. And that's why I want to bring up your net worth because I feel like people don't understand that it's not about your net worth. It is about the journey. But equally, there's money to be made in compound. But is that true about your estimated net worth? Do you feel comfortable saying? I, I think. I mean, I have. To be honest, I have. I have no idea. And I have no real interest. It's fascinating to me that these are the headlines. When I Google you, for example, these are the things that the news try to put out there. Yeah, and, and what I love about this interview is that the real you is, is this story, this kind of love your journey, be in control of your own destiny, you know, think about what matters to you. But I, I just feel like the media just turn things into it's all about the money. And, and, yeah, I, and, I, and I wonder if there's a way to fix it, you know, if, if, if we need to, I don't know, um, do more to explain this point to people. I mean, and, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but it just feels like there's a lack of it out there to actually explain it properly. I think the problem is, is, is that, um, you know, what the media need to do is they need to sell, they need to sell copies or they need, you know, they, 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 they need to get eyeballs. They need to, they need to generate interest. And, and I think one of the things that I find really frustrating is that, you know, I get a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I, I'm a big fan of getting, of persuading the right people to start their own business. You know, if it's right for you, then it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do and you will have a great life. And so getting the right people to start their own business is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a great thing to do. But what happens with the media, what, what I find with a lot of people is they say, you know, I find a lot of people say they really wanted to start their own business, but they can't come up with an idea. And the reason they can't come up with that idea is that when they read the papers, you read about entrepreneurs and you Google entrepreneurs, you get, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, Google, Facebook, you know, Tesla, you know, Microsoft, you know, the, the, the businesses you, you read about are sort of businesses that, you know, if you're going to start a business, it's highly unlikely you're going to start a business like that. But it sort of almost feels like unless you can come up with something so new and incredible that it's going to be a billion dollar business. It's not worth starting. It's just, it's, that's so wrong because, you know, it, it's, you know, all you need to do with a business is, is you need to do, you know, better quality, better value, better service than somebody else. So you can decide you want to, if you want to decide you sell mugs, start a mug business and just do slightly better quality or better sell, better value. And you, you'll end up with a great, a really good mug business. You know, you'll, you'll be the best mug business in the world. And, you know, it, 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 it doesn't take much, you know, it's like, you know, I'd started, you know, I, 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 when I, when I left Bain, I started my business and within four years I was a two and a half million pound business making 250,000 pounds a year. That's a hell of a, you know, that's a hell of a lot of money, you know, and it was a business nobody had ever heard. Nobody had heard of it. I was just selling a few shirts and, it, and, you know, I, and, I, and I could have carried on doing two and a half million pounds a year, selling, making 250 and had a lovely, fantastic life. And I could have taken it easy and done what I wanted and done what I loved doing and, and that would have been great. And and it's a it's a you know, it's very important not to you know when you read the papers you feel if you're going to be an entrepreneur you have to be a massive success. Yep. And all people want to know they want to, yeah people always want to know they sort of say 
whenever I do, if, if any article ever appears, people will always go to the Sunday Times Rich List and they'll quote what the Sunday Times Rich List, or they'll quote. And it's just, it's just, it's just not what it's about. It's yeah. sort of, but that's what I think people want to read about. You know, they want to read. They're just sort of, and then you get the the, the comments where you know people just, I, I just, yeah, it, it, it's very toxic. I think it's very toxic. And what, what, I, what I'm noticing, this is a very relevant conversation for today, right now, what the situation we find ourselves in. I'm, I, I spoke to an entrepreneur yesterday who um, has been laid off. And uh, they, they have an idea that they actually like, but their feeling is it's not a big enough idea. It's not going to be able to raise the money, for example, because it's... And, and, and my conversation with them was around, like, will you enjoy it? Will it be something you love to do? Or do you want to go back to that job? Or do you want to find another job? You know, you want to do this idea, enjoy it. But it's got lost because even the way people perceive how a business has to go, they can't just have a small business they enjoy. Somehow, yeah. you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, that is not the way that you're going to get PR, for example, because, you know, you need the headlines, you need the PR to be successful. That's not true, right? So yeah. so I, I'm hopeful, though, because when I, when I speak to this particular person I'm thinking of yesterday, I spoke to, you know, you just say that to them and they go, it's common sense, right? They're like, actually, that's true. I've I've got bought in too much. I don't know if you watch read TechCrunch. It's one of the channels. You know, I've watched too. Much, I've read, read too much TechCrunch stuff, which is all about tech companies making billions overnight, unicorns, right? So I've yeah. read too much of that stuff, and I haven't listened enough to the people that have actually done it and the ones that are enjoying their lives. You know, because yeah. because you know, I would argue, I, I would actually argue, Mark Zuckerberg isn't enjoying his life. I would argue, I can I can see some elements of it that you know, it's not very enjoyable, um, being no. that that prominent. No. Um, he runs around with seven bodyguards around him all the time. And, and, and a lot of people, you know, hate him. And, yeah. and to your point, you know, some of them, is, his customers hate him. So it's, yeah. it's, who, who wants to live that life? You know, sometimes I think that's the key, isn't it? You've got to take advice from people, perhaps, whose lives you want to end up like. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's very true. And in a way, you know, that's why I say to people, look, if you give me a good reason for selling, and, 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 and they can't. You know, they say you can go and enjoy other things. But actually, and I think there's another very important thing, I think, for, for entre- a message I give entrepreneurs is... Um, you know, ultimately, as an entrepreneur, there's only one decision you have to make. And that one decision is who is the right person to run my business. And for a long time, it might be you. And to be honest, yeah, it might be you forever, but highly unlikely, because the chance that you're the right person, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur who loves that nitty gritty, that starting that, you know, working 24 seven, sort of doing everything, you know, doing the merchandising and answering the phone and packing the boxes, if you're in a business like mine, you know, you're not going to be the sort of person who's going to enjoy, you know, managing a thousand people and, you know, all that sort of the stuff that goes with it. That's more of a sort of bigger corporate mentality is needed. And so the mistake a lot of entrepreneurs make, I think, is that they think they're the right person. They can never let go. And they become, you become very stressed because you're, you're in a role that you're not really built for. You're not made for it. And I think what happens is you tend to hit a lot of businesses will hit a glass ceiling and that glass ceiling might be at 10 million pounds or 20 million pounds because they, people can't let go. They can't, they can't, um, you know, entrust other people with important decisions. They have to make all the decisions themselves, which annoys the people who work for them. And so they leave So you never get really great people. You know, you've got to empower people. And ultimately that comes down to, you know, along the way, you know, I've given away, you know, I give away when I first started, I do, I did everything. And then you get somebody who, packs the boxes or answers the phones and then you get somebody who does the marketing and somebody who does the finance and somebody who does the merchandising and then ultimately you get somebody who runs the business and you say actually i'm not the right person to run the business anymore and and i'm not you know so i've got a chief exec i've had a few chief execs now 
But I, but I feel like the business, and, I, and I, I use the analogy that it is like my fifth child, and in more ways than one, because as I say to all my kids, I say, look, this is my fifth child. You know, I have got four other children, and I can tell you that if I'm going to sell any of them, it's not going to be my eldest one. It's not going to be my business. I'd sell any of you <laughs> before I sell this one, oh, which slightly annoys them. But it, it becomes a sort of, you know, like a child. It, effectively, this child is now, it's now a 35-year-old child. Yeah, it's 35. I, I, I think the analogy is so great because, you know, when you have kids, you can never understand what it's like to have a child until you've had one. When I had a child later, I've got a three and a half year old late in life, 40. People always told me what it was like to have a child. You never really know until you've had one. And it's just the same when you're building a business you love. Yeah. You know, if you're building a business you love, there's just no feeling like it. No one can explain it. And that's why it becomes one of your children, you know, and to sell it. Yeah, totally. It's also, it's also that thing of, you know, when a child, as you know, when a child is naught to three and a half, you are giving it 24 hours a day. You are absolutely right in there. You know, move time forward, it becomes a teenager. It starts to answer back like a business. You know, you can't just tell it what to do because people, if you want good people in the business, they've got to have, they've got to be empowered. Yeah. And then when it gets to 35 years old, like mine, it's a proper grown up making his own decisions. Yeah. And I can't, it's not, it, it becomes a, a separate entity. You know, I own it, but but I realize that I have limitations. I'm, I'm a great entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great starter of business. I love starting a business, but I'm not running big, you know, big business. So there's, 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 there's two great things that are kind of making point here. I think we've just come up with a book, by the way, that will be bought by parents and by entrepreneurs. You know, we need a, a parenting yeah. book, you know, how to run your business and your children. <laughs> Yeah. So we could actually come up. I think there's a book there. Definitely, yeah. we can appeal to two demographics. But, but I think I think the thing I love about this point at the end of our podcast now is is that you know for for a lot of people that are hearing you know stay in your business, build it up, compound, they might be misunderstanding the point that actually there's also stages for the entrepreneur in that build too. Yeah. So I have done exactly the same. You're exactly right. There comes a moment when actually someone else running the business is better for the business and because you love the child so much, you will let someone else run it. Um, and a difficulty comes, I've seen this and I've experienced this, the difficulty comes when you're really good at the thing you're asking someone else to do. Yeah. That, that's the really hard moment because I think yeah. outsourcing stuff you don't like, like for me it was always accounts, that was easy. But yeah. outsourcing marketing, because I know it so well, it's like you know, really hard to do it. But if you can do it, that's when you can scale, right? I think one of my strongest things is recognizing my own inabilities, actually. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm quite good about being honest with myself at what I'm not good at. And to be honest... I'm probably lucky in that I'm not, I'm genuinely not very good at rather a lot of things. So it's easier for me to hand things on. And I, I hope I'm, I'm good at empowering people. And I hope I'm good at, you know, delegating responsibility because I know that people do a much, much better job than I do. And one of, one of the things I love, I mean, probably the last thing I held on to was probably the merchandising. And actually one of the things I love is seeing the merchandisers in the business now, they are so much better than I ever was. I mean, ridiculous. I mean, so much more advanced and that is just lovely lovely to see well it's a it's a wonderful story i i can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing it. i've got one last question to to wrap up the podcast and if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice what would it be um i think it would it would be it would be it would be do one thing and do it really well like your uh, your younger self listened i mean you had uh, a blip there but you know i, I had a few blips i had a few blips <laughs> had a few blips well we'll have to have you back on for the other blips then i'd like to hear the other blips <laughs> um but yeah Very it's, good. It's, it's been an absolute joy uh listening to your story i'm going to sum up a few things that i want the audience to take away um don't overlook compound 
think it can be tremendously powerful in a business. Don't undervalue it. I think being the turtle has incredible value. Um, how many times do we have to watch that story to realize it's true? You know, love your business. Don't, don't worry about other people judging it. If you love it, I've, I, a lot of people said my son was quite ugly when he was young. I loved him and now he's beautiful. And so, and he always will be to me. And I think, you know, loving your business is the same. I think the, um, the, the, the story that Nick shared earlier about the shoes and, and, and doing the faxing of the shoes. I mean, if you haven't listened to the beginning of the podcast, you have to go back and listen to it. It's, it's a great story. And I think actually he kind of was inventing crowdfunding back then. He got 50 people to buy his shoes in advance. And, and that gave him the cash flow to then make the shoes and, and, and build a business. And so, you know, getting the daffodils and, and, and getting the seeds and planting the daffodils, everyone can get seeds. You can hustle to get the seeds, right? Then plant the daffodils, pick them, sell them, that is all in your control. Don't wait for someone else to give you the keys to your future. I think um, the story, of course, of, of people's lives are always interesting. People's bad luck. And I know a lot of people right now listening feel like they're having bad luck. But in hindsight, over time, just like Nick shared um, his personal story about his mother, you know, over time, I do agree that you know, bad luck can turn into some form of good luck over time. And although you don't want the bad luck to happen, you've got to embrace the, the, the good with the bad because actually the bad can make you stronger. I think quality, service and value. You know, I feel like they should be T-shirts given to every single entrepreneur. I just couldn't be, I couldn't be uh, more in agreement with that when it comes to building a business and live by those rules. Maybe in the back of the T-shirt it says I was going to be Mick Jagger, but, um, but I bought this T-shirt instead. I think this kind of um, in control of your own destiny is the secret ingredient uh, that I wish was more in the headlines as to why people really start businesses and go out there and build a business. Um, forget logic, which is something Nick also said, which I really like. I love that whole concept that, you know, logic is, is, is not uh, always there in businesses. You know, be smart about it, but don't necessarily have to build, uh, build logic into what you're doing. I think the quote you mentioned, you know, build and lose a business the same way by losing clients. You know, I'd like to make that your quote and uh, we'll, we'll purpose that out as, as your, your new version. People need to understand that it's so true. When you're building a business, you've got, to, you've got to look after your clients. I could go on and I want uh, to say again, thank you so much, Nick, for taking the time to share your story with us. And I hope to have you back on one day. It would be uh, awesome. No, that's great. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Project podcast today. If you got any value from this podcast, then do feel free to give us a review and give us your feedback. And if you think anybody out there might enjoy this story of this real-life successful entrepreneur, then feel free to share. And of course, go and visit purposefulproject.com and join our mailing list at any point. Thanks again for listening.